A friend of mine was a band director at a high school in Washington. And the spring of each school year was particularly stressful for him. Those of you that are teachers understand. He would have music contests and parades and concerts and tours, graduation and especially stressful spring fever, spring fever. All of this combined to make a very trying last two months of his entire school year. One particular spring added to all that stress, he had to discipline two of his students and after promises and threats, he was reluctantly forced to dismiss these two very rowdy, uncontrollable musicians from his band. Well, on Friday that week, the last of this terrible week behind him, he loaded their van, the family's van, and hooked up their trailer, and together with his wife and kids, headed off for a nice, quiet, uneventful, uninterrupted, peaceful weekend, alone. As he told the story, they had reached their remote campsite, set up the trailer, put out the lawn furniture, and started the barbecue. And he had just settled back in one of their lounge chairs with a good book, just starting to unwind and relax. When guess what? Behind him he heard a, Hi, Mr. Dearth! Guess who? camped right next to his site were the two rowdy, uncontrollable band members he had just kicked out of band. Wow. Have you ever experienced something similar? You're stressed out, you're burned out, you're tired and irritable and cranky. Your, your kids even tell you you need a vacation. So off you go, expecting peace and quiet, solitude, relaxation, then something happens. Maybe it's the phone rings. Someone interrupts you. Well, that's part of life. It happens to all of us. And as we study the life of Jesus, it's encouraging to know that that happened to Jesus too. No, he didn't have the phone ring. He had a different type of interruption. Just when he needed a break, some solitude, some uninterrupted silence and alone time, he had an interruption. And I want us to join the story and see how Jesus turned an interruption into an opportunity. What can we learn, interruption to opportunity? We're going to look at Matthew, the 14th chapter. Matthew 14, it'll be on the projection in front of you, also on page 796 on the, in the Bible in front of you, if you want to do that. Matthew 14. We're going to read verses 13 through 21. Matthew 14, 13 to 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. 
Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass, taking five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. For proper attribution, I just want to say some of the outline points I gleaned from Max Lucado. This story begins with something all of us experience. Unexpected interruptions. Unexpected interruptions. Verse 13 says, when Jesus had heard what had happened, the what had happened in his life refers to the previous verses, the news that, that Jesus' best friend, his relative, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. He just he had been murdered. And he had just heard that had happened. Jesus is dealing with a loss of pain and death. And remember, Jesus was God, but he was also human, experiencing the same emotions, feelings, and pain that we experience. In today's world, we hear about and read about death every day, it seems, but, and seemingly has little effect on us unless someone close to us dies. Then we are deeply, deeply affected. Dealing with death, permanent loss. That's where Jesus was at this point in his time. These times demand solitude, time to think, to pray, to, to meditate, and to process. There's a deep human need to deal with a traumatic human tragedy. Jesus also needed solitude, time to be alone with only close friends so that he could grieve privately. So, what happened? an unexpected interruption. The crowds found out where Jesus went, and they followed him. Now, you, you may be here this morning wanting peace and solitude, not necessarily because of a death. Maybe it's just the endless demands of life. It just never ends. A mother with young children, you never get out. You never get to have an adult conversation. A grandparent taking care of that grandchild or grandchildren taking care of an aging parent, family issues, job stress, health issues that keep cropping up, financial challenges, and it's just interrupting. You are always interrupted. Interruptions are tough to deal with, especially during difficult personal times. Jesus knew those times. Jesus experienced interruptions. And then on top of the unexpected interruptions of Jesus, we find, secondly, unreasonable demands. Unreasonable demands. I mean, this was a large crowd, over 5,000 people. Many had some disease or some sickness. There was tremendous, overwhelming needs represented in these 5,000-plus people. And all of them were coming to one person, to Jesus, to have him meet their need. Unreasonable unreasonable demands. Max Lucado in his book has a label for times in their home when their children were small and the needs were great. He calls it the piranha hour. The piranha hour. 
Now, the piranha is a tiny fish that travels in packs of hundreds, takes minute bites from its prey, and they can devour an entire animal in mere minutes. You find them, hopefully, gratefully, in South America in the Amazon, not around here. The piranha hour. Max writes, in our house, we call 5 p.m. the piranha hour. That's the time of day when everyone wants a piece of mom. Sarah, the baby, was hungry. Andrea wanted mom to read her book. Jenna wanted help with her homework. And I, the ever-loving, sensitive husband, wanted Denalyn to drop everything and talk to me about my day. Do you have a piranha hour? Or maybe you have a piranha day. It may be going a whole day. When people demand a lot and offer little. People demand and you must deliver. Teachers who have students arriving in the piranha hour lasts until they leave. A business person that requests that number of results. Parents, administrative assistants, a nurse, a doctor, a surgeon. No one comes to give. Everyone's there to take. How did Jesus respond? How ought we to respond? In verse 14, it said he had compassion. He had compassion on them. At the time that we least want to give compassion, compassion. The Greek word, I know you've been wondering what that Greek word was, is splonknitsomai. Okay, everybody say it, splonknitsomai. Splonknitsomai, good. You say you learned Greek today. Okay. Doesn't mean much unless you're a health professional dealing with splonknology. Splonknology is the study of the visceral parts in ordinary language, the study of the gut. Study of the gut, okay? Which means Jesus' compassion was not just some kind of casual pity. Jesus actually felt their hurt in his gut. He felt what they were feeling. He felt the limp of the cripple, the loneliness of the leper, the hurt of the sick, the shame of the sinful. He was moved in his stomach, in his visceral parts, by people's needs. This is the same way he feels your needs this morning. Compassion. Not, not just feeling sorry for, but a deep empathy and identification with. People have varying degrees of empathy. Jesus actually has perfect empathy, which means he actually feels what you feel. He feels it in his gut. Then what did he do? He, he healed the sick. Did they all deserve healing? It doesn't say he healed the sick who deserved it. He said he healed their sick. One writer says, Matthew writes that Jesus healed their sick, not some of their sick, not the righteous among the sick, not the deserving among the sick, but the sick. Surely, among the many thousands, there were a few people that were unworthy of good health or healing. And you wonder if Jesus was tempted to say to the rapist, heal you after what you've done, or to the child molester, why should I restore your health? Or to the bigot, or the, you name the sin. And he could not only see their past, he could see their future. 
Lucado writes, undoubtedly, there were those in the multitude who had used their newfound health to hurt others. Jesus released tongues that would someday curse. He gave sight to the eyes that would lust. He healed the hands that would kill. Many would never say thank you, but he healed them anyway. Most would be more concerned about being healthy than being holy. But he healed them anyway. Some of those who asked for bread today would cry out for blood later, a few months. But he healed them anyway. Jesus chose to do what you and I seldom, if ever, choose to do. He chose to give gifts to people knowing full well that those gifts could be used for evil. Every time Jesus healed, he had to overlook the future and the past. Jesus still does that. Jesus still does that. He doesn't give gifts to those who use their money wisely, to those who remember to thank him. God's goodness is spurred by his nature, not by our worthiness. We don't always deserve Jesus' compassion or his healing. But he gives it to us anyway. He gives it to us anyway. It's called grace. Grace. So here's Jesus, unexpected interruptions, unreasonable demands. Next we find inadequate resources. Inadequate resources. It's been a long day, a great day. People are healed and taught. Everyone's hungry. They're in a remote location. There's not, not a McDonald's in sight. There's no Culver's around the corner. Cheese curds had not yet been invited, inv invented. <laughs> Jesus and his disciples had nothing. The disciples tell Jesus, it's getting late, it's time for dinner. Tell the people to go home or go away and eat. And Jesus says, they do not need to go away. You, you give them something to eat. I... We've got to put ourselves in the, in the place of the disciples. The absurd thing that Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Now, this story is recorded in all four Gospels. A little bit different twist on, on all of them. But it's interesting to know what each author remembered from the story. John in John 6 gives more detail. When Jesus said, you feed them, there were two reactions. Philip says eight months of wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. He was the analytical guy. He looked at the people and said, let's see, eight months wages. Everybody might get a bite, that's it. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was a visionary, and I don't know, people thought he was a dreamer, says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Inadequate resources. Jesus, there's no way we can do what you've asked us to do. Jesus turns to you, to Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, surrounded by hungry, needy people, and says to us, you feed him. You feed him. Not necessarily physical food. We do have some hunger needs in Eau Claire. There are many options for feeding the physically hungry in Eau Claire. But people are starving spiritually. The latest number I heard is a number of unchurched stands at about 44,000 people in Eau Claire. About 44,000. But Jesus, I don't have the resources. I'm just a 
ordinary person. I'm not rich. I don't have a great education. I've never been to seminary. I don't have a teaching degree. I'm not a famous athlete. I don't have a lot of time. What can I possibly do? Me? Feed them? Besides, I'm tired, depressed, and hurting myself. What could I possibly do? Me? Feed all these people? That's called realism, just like Philip and Andrew. And realism can sometimes be the opposite of faith. <laughs> realism, opposite of faith. Because we then look at our resources, our five small rolls and two small fish, and our resources are inadequate. But Jesus still says to us, you feed them. And our response should be and will be the same as his followers. I can't. I can't. Inadequate resources. Sometimes that's all Jesus is waiting to hear from us. When we reach the point of I can't, then God can. Let's look at what happened next. An unbelievable miracle, number four. How did this happen? How can Jesus take a little and make much? How can Jesus take inadequate resources and do great big things? How can we see Jesus do a miracle with our inadequacies? Four things must happen. Not the only four things, but these are four. First one, give what we have to Jesus. Give what we have to Jesus. This little boy, he had coarse barley loaves. It wasn't even good whole wheat bread or sourdough. It was just coarse barley loaves. Small fish, maybe like sardines or bait fish. We don't know. But he gave this little to Jesus. We may not have much, but this is a call to give what we have. And when we give it, we let go of control. We let go of control. This was not a test of what they couldn't do. This was a test of what God could do with their little. Give what we have to Jesus. Then we find Jesus accepted what he gave. He accepts what we give. He accepted it. He blessed it. He consecrated it. He set it apart. He made it holy to be used of God. Whatever we give to God, God sets it apart, dedicates it to his use, no matter how small or inadequate we see our gifts to him. He always blesses them and sets them apart for his use and his purposes. Thirdly, Jesus transforms what we give. What did he do with those loaves, bread, fish? He broke it. He broke it. Sometimes what we give to God needs some change, needs to be transformed, needs to be broken down. To be multiplied, the bread had to be broken into pieces. When's the last time you felt broken? Broken. Felt like God broke you into pieces. Difficult times break us. They break us from our focus on money or material possessions or our own inadequacies, our securities, our own abilities. The transformation of our resources will many times require a breaking process. 
breaking us from our self-sufficiency, I can do it, transforming our insufficiency, I can't do it. Both require breaking of our pride and rebuilding it into something better, something more, something greater. There's an author named Ray Hessian. He wrote a classic book. Some of you may be aware of it. He wrote a book called The Calvary Road. The Calvary Road. And he writes of the relationship between brokenness and multiplication, specifically when it comes to revival. He writes, and I quote, the outward forms of such revival do, of course, differ considerably, but the inward and permanent content of them is always the same. A new experience of the conviction of sin among the saints. A new vision of the cross of Jesus and of redemption, a new willingness on man's part for brokenness, repentance, confession, and restitution. A joyful experience of the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse us fully from sin and restore and heal all that sin has lost and broken. A new entering into the fullness of the Holy Spirit and of his power to do his own work through his people. He goes on to say this, revival is not a green valley getting greener, but a valley full of dry bones being made to live again and to stand up an exceeding great army. Calls attention Ezekiel 37. Said they're a bunch of dry bones. They're dead. And God said through Ezekiel, I'm going to make them live again. They're going to rise up like an army. That's what we need. It's not good Christians becoming better Christians. As God sees, there are not any good Christians, but rather Christians honestly confessing that their Christian life is a valley of dry bones and that by very confession, qualifying for the grace that flows from the cross and makes all things new. Brokenness. Our little becomes much when given to Jesus, consecrated, blessed, and broken. When we place everything at his disposal in faith and obedience, everything we've received from him, Jesus will, in spite of our own insignificance, our own inadequacies, he will multiply our talents, power, spiritual gifts, fruits, and feed others, transforming their lives. How? How? Taking them, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples. Disciples gave them to the people. Jesus gave it away. Give it away. Give it away. How? Give it away. Don't try to hang on to it. God's blessings, when he multiplies them, continue to reproduce when we give them away. Now, caution here. Don't look around and compare yourself to other people. You may feel like a sourdough English muffin rather than fancy French bread at a restaurant. That's okay. You may feel like a carp instead of a king salmon or walleye. 
But all of us have been created by God for a purpose. Give to Jesus, being blessed by Jesus, broken by Jesus, multiplied and given away. Everything that is given to us is given in order to give it away. And it says they all ate and were satisfied. And 12 baskets were full and left over. Now, I'm not going to try to explain that anymore than Jesus healing the blind man or healing the leper or being raised from the dead, whatever. These were miracles. These were things that Jesus did. This is not just sufficiency. It's abundance. More than is needed. Our God is not a God of the squeaker, just getting by, just enough. He's the God of abundance. He wants to bless you. God wants to bless our church. God wants to bless the community of Eau Claire. Eau Claire County, the state of Wisconsin. Giving what little we have to God, let God set it apart by blessing. Let God transform by breaking. And then let's give it away. So what's the meaning of this miracle? What's the meaning? Number five. In John 6.35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, understandably, after a miracle like this, in, in, a, in an earlier situation, the people tried to come and make Jesus their leader by force. This guy can do this. Man, we need, he needs to be our leader. He can, he can make food out of nothing. It's awesome. But Jesus redirects their preoccupation with physical bread and points to spiritual bread, which satisfies spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. Adrian Rogers, in his book, Believe in Miracles but Trust in Jesus, speaking of the difference between physical and spiritual, writes this. He says, our world has the idea that all people need today is food that perishes. But if I had $5 billion and spent it to buy every person on earth a snack, in several hours they would all be hungry again. Food perishes. It is valid and necessary to feed the poor, and we will be blessed when we help the helpless. We ought to do that. But the problem with the so-called social gospel, as opposed to the saving gospel, social gospel, the saving gospel, is that the social gospel puts emphasis upon that which is temporary. The saving gospel emphasizes that which is eternal. Some people are only interested in making the world a better place to go to hell from. Let me say that again. This is a problem with the social gospel. Some people are only interested in making the world a better place to go to hell from. What we must do is get people saved. They need more than soup and soap. They need salvation. Social justice salvation. This was a lunch that taught lessons for them. It's just, it was a schooling lunch, turning interruptions into opportunities, unexpected interruptions, unreasonable demands, inadequate resources, and an unbelievable miracle. Giving what we have to Jesus. Jesus will bless it, transform it, and Jesus will give it away.
If you are here this morning and are yourself hungry or thirsty for something more than what you can see, taste, or touch, this bread is for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give illustrations from your own life, things that you dealt with, situations that you were in and how you taught you schooled your disciples in many different ways. And I pray, God, that we would learn from today that you have incredible potential when we just give our little to you. And Father, you have a plan for every individual here in this, in this room today. You have a plan for this church in this community. And we want to be fulfill, fulfilling and fulfill the purpose and plan for which you placed us here. And I pray that you'll help us to know and see as we give our little to you. You make much in Jesus' name.